My name is Keith Peters, and I just found out that Charlie Brown's father was a barber. I'm just going to let that sit there for a second. What's going on, wine lovers from the Vine Pair Podcasting Network? This is the Wine 101 Podcast. My name is Keith Beavers. I am the tasting director of Vine Pair. What's going on? We're sticking with the fortified wine thing. Today, we're going to an island off the coast of Portugal called Madeira. It also has a you know some crazy stuff going on here. And if you think sherry was wild, Madeira says, hold my Madeira. This episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by Taylor. Taking note from Madeira, Portugal, a tiny island located off both the coast of Portugal and Morocco, Taylor New York Madeira adopts the same unique heating process as its inspiration, resulting in a distinctive nutty flavor. Though it makes an excellent dessert wine, I like it best with some stinky blue cheese. You know, easily. Okay. I need to focus. Because last episode, we were doing Sherry. And towards the end of that episode, I talked about how confusing it can be. And how it actually confuses me. Well, this place, Madeira, is also a place that can be confusing. And I was, I'm trying to figure out why this stuff is so confusing. And I think it's because... These wines were like Sherry and Madeira, which we're about to talk about. They were so popular so long ago and they're still on the market today. And their popularity was so intense because still wine just couldn't travel like these wines could travel. So therefore the market for these wines were intense. You're going to see that a lot with early Madeira and the American colonies, but it feels like there was a fever pitch of capitalism and trade happening with these wines near these port towns being fortified so they could travel across oceans. And with that fervent capitalism sort of like trade thing, things would change and adapt to different trends within that trend. And that's what it feels like because a lot of the stuff from Sherry and Madeira are just no longer practiced anymore. There are there's even terminology that no longer exists. And if it does exist today, sometimes that terminology doesn't necessarily line up with the original idea of that term, which we'll hear about soon. And because of the changes, because of all these words flying around within one style or category, it can be very confusing. So if you're looking, if you've tried Madeira or tried Sherry and you've been confused, it makes complete sense because this wine geek here was also very confused at one time about these things. But once you really get a sense of what they're doing with the product and how they're just trying to take variations of one thing and one, like one scientific thing, it kind of helps a little bit. So let's get into Madeira. I'm not going to get into a lot of history because, again, it'll take too long, but we're going to get nice with Madeira, so by the, ten, by the time this episode is done, you're going to understand everything. I'll start here. The oldest wine I've ever had was from the year 1865. Somebody said, hey man, 
do you want to try a wine when Abraham Lincoln was president? I'm like, yes. And it was a Madeira 1865. And it was stunning. Hundreds of miles off the coast of Portugal and actually the coast of Morocco is a group of archipelago islands in a region of the sea called the Macaronesia region. And these archipelagos are kind of going well, from north to south. You have the Azores. Then just south of that, you have Madeira. Then just south of that, you have the Canary Islands. And the Azores and Madeira are part of Portugal, and the Canary Islands are part of Spain. The Madeira archipelago is made up of three islands. You have Madeira. Then you have a smaller island just north of Madeira called Porto Santo. Then south of Madeira, you have this long, skinny island called Desertas. And what's really fascinating is these are islands, but they're islands on top of what are called sea mounts. These are volcanoes that started in the, the, the floor of the ocean and went all the way up. So far, they went out of the ocean. Not all of them are not all of them made them out. Seamounts aren't always out of the ocean. But as far as Madeira is concerned, the big island of the Madeira archipelago, this is an island on top of a seamount. I find that just massively crazy awesome. And the island itself is called a shield island. Imagine a shield laying down. That is what the island kind of looks like. I mean, it's not like completely round or anything, but it's just the way it's flattened out. It's actually, there is a, a, um, a mountain range that goes through the Madeira Island and it goes kind of east and west. That's sort of the shape of the island. And because of that mountain range, you have a northern part of the island and a southern part of the island, which get different kind of climate um, results. But generally, this is, island is in the same parallel as Bermuda. So the amount of rain that happens here is kind of intense, but a, an average of 110 inches a year in a volcanic mountainous region island. And the peak of this mountain range is what they call a rain shadow, which attracts precipitation, drawing rain to the island. It was uninhabited until the 15th century, and it was first colonized by the Portuguese. The capital of the island is in the southeastern part of the island. It's a big port town called Funchal. And Madeira is actually considered the first territorial discovery during the exploration of, during the age of discovery. And this is how vines got to Madeira, which today is about an hour and a half flight from Lisbon. So the way the history goes in a general sense is that the first crop that was a big deal on the island of Madeira was sugarcane. And... As that was happening, also vines are being brought over and being made into wine. And the primary varieties that were on the island were high-acid white wines. A grape called Cercial, a grape called Verdeo, a grape called Bual, and also Malvasia, which was corrupted by the British to be known as Malmsey. And then there's one red wine grape called Tinta Negra, but here they call it Negra Mol. That's Negra M-O-L-L. There's also a grape called Tarantes. It's not Torontes. It has nothing to do with that. It's actually the Girard grape Trousseau, but that's very rare. Okay, so we have an island with people on it. we got a sugarcane industry going on, and we have some wine being made. They're high-acid white wines. It's a thing. 
when the age of discovery kicks in, AKA colonization, the Azores, Madeira, the Canary Islands, these are all of these archipelagos in the Northern Atlantic that were kind of port towns or launching pads to the new world. And it makes sense if you're in a port town and wine's being made, then you might as well take the wine and bring it to the new place, right? Well, the thing is, still white wine, as we know now, because you listen to Wine 101, is very fragile, especially high-acid whites on a ship across the ocean. They just don't last. So because of the cane sugar thing happening on the island, they would distill some of the cane sugar into a, a spirit, and they would fortify the white wine, put it into a barrel so that it could survive the ship journey across an ocean. And these wines would go into a barrel and they would lull their way through this journey. And by the time they got to where they were supposed to go, they had changed. They had oxidized. They had a little bit of a nutty flavor. It was like really kind of savory and like caramelized. And what is this? And I believe this is my personal theory. This is the moment I think humans realize, Oh, Barrels, so that makes sense. And what happened was, as colonization ramped up, sugarcane production left Madeira primarily and went to other islands, I think in the Caribbean. So the sugarcane industry was still there, but it, it this made a lot of room for the wine industry to thrive, and it thrived. This new wine idea started about the 17th century, and by the 18th century, it was in full swing. And there was the, so what happened was the way the industry developed was that the varieties that I mentioned, the white wine varieties were grown at certain elevations on the Island that they would thrive. And there were these, um, these irrigation systems that they built called levadas and so the way it worked out is you had Boal and Malvasia or Malmsey that was grown towards the sea level. Then as you go up the island, you would have Verdeo, just a little bit higher up in the elevation. And then Cercial was as far up as the slope as they could get it. And this island, just so you know, is about six, it rises to about 6,000 feet above sea level. This is a high acid white region. And they did this because Cercial was a little bit dry. Verdejo, they called medium dry. Boal, they would call medium or kind of medium rich. And then Malvasia or Malmsey was kind of a sweet or rich wine. And a lot of that, I, we're going to talk about the, the, the way this wine is made, but that also is a testament to the varieties themselves and where on the island they're grown. And these grapes are somewhat considered the noble grapes of the island. And because of their varying results, the grape variety itself would define the resulting style of the wine. So Cercial was dry, Verdeo was medium dry, Boal was sweet or rich, medium rich, and Malvasia was rich. That's kind of like, so if you had a Malvasia, you knew it was rich. If you had a Cercial, you knew it was dry. And what they did for quite some time is they would do this thing called Vin, vino de Ruda, which means route wine or route, the route of a ship's journey from one place to the other. 
And they would take these wines and put them on, you know, whatever variety they're using, making them from, and they would put it in the barrel. They would fortify them, put them on the ship, and it would lull its way to the next place. And by the time I got there, the that exposure would happen. Now, this thing, this scientific thing that happened with oxygen and fortified spirits and time became known as madurization, Madeira, madurization. It's literally a word used and named after this island and the style of wine. And this happened up until around World War I, actually. Obviously, <laughs> that would, that, you know, World War I had some complications, so they couldn't do that anymore. They basically just got rid of the whole idea. I'm sure there's some people doing it now, but it's not done regularly. And what happened was there were... The new, the new way of making the wine, so they couldn't do it on the ship. There was another way they made this wine called vino cantellero, which means rafter wine. And what they would do is they would take the barrels, instead of putting them in ships, they would put them in houses or lodges, houses, lodges, up in the rafters or somewhere in this lodge that was uncooled and just allowed it to sit there. And it had to sit there for at least two years, but up to a 20 years, sometimes a hundred years. The thing is when you fortify this stuff, it's a tank. It's not going anywhere. It is going to stink. It's going to be around for a long time. You can't mess this stuff up. Actually, when you open a bottle of Madeira, it's best to let it hang out open for a couple days to let it kind of like, just kind of settle a little bit because these things are old or they, they can be. And this is sort of considered the way to make Madeira wine in its most highest quality sense. There's another way of making Madeira and it's a quicker and more effective and cost-effective way. It's called estufagem or baking wine. What they do is they put the, the wine in a cuba de calor, which means a heat vat. The vat is called an estufa. And in the estufa is a heating coil, or sometimes they wrap it in like a heat jacket. This used to be done in concrete vats, but these days are doing it in stainless steel and it's heated for 90 days instead of two years. So you see the cost effectiveness there, right? Then they put it in barrels as if it had been two years in a lodge and you have this cost effective wine from Madeira. There is one company called Madeira Wine Company, one of only eight producers on the entire island. Wine lovers, Madeira itself only has about a thousand acres under vine. Yeah. But this company does something called Amarzem de Calor, or Heat Lodge. And what this is, it's a, it's a, it's a kind of estufagem kind of process, but instead of a heating coil or some kind of heating element, they actually put it in the vat, but they put it in a lodge. So it's not in a barrel in a lodge, it's actually in a heated lodge in the vat. A little confusing, but what it's trying to what they're trying to do here is they're trying to do the use the best of best of both worlds to make their Madeira. Now, in general, what you're going to experience with Madeira are wines that are caramely. They kind of smell sometimes like the perception of a dried fruit. They can have some a little bit of citrus, like the oil essence of citrus, like maybe even like if, you know, in cocktails, people just like express lemon, something like that. It'll have cinnamon. Sometimes it can go down to nutmeg. I mean, this is a very kind of fruity, savory wine. 
that is enjoyed perfectly at cellar temperature. It can even go into like, I don't know. You guys ever smell brown butter? <clears throat> like that. But guys, this is where everything kind of changes. All that is wonderful, right? But phylloxera, guys, phylloxera, it ruined Madeira. Ruined it. Ruined it. And the modernization of wine also didn't help at all because trade and wine trade got better. But phylloxera just messed up Madeira, decimated it like a lot of places. And when they rebuilt and replanted, they didn't plant much of these noble varieties we we're talking about before. The, the, these varieties are actually hard to work with for them. So they're in small supply today. The, the grape that is mostly used to make Madeira, about 85% of it, is Tinta Negra, also known as Negramol, and then maybe that Trousseau, but we don't really talk about that because I don't really know where it is. It's just talked about as part of this thing. I've heard people talk about Trousseau and get all excited about it being there, but it's probably just, the, I don't know who's making it. And what's kind of nuts is that these words I was talking about before, Cercial, the varieties, they no longer really apply. And if you see the grape on a label, it's only going to be produced in a way that represents what that style represents. Does that make sense? So I don't think we should concentrate on that. We need to concentrate on what we're going to see on labels on the American market. You see how this can be a little bit confusing? Okay, bear with me. I'm going to break this down and then you'll understand everything. Modern Madeira works like this. It is ranked in quality, corresponding to hierarchy, corresponding to the grapes, roughly the grapes involved in the method made. Okay. The first is called three-year, also known as finest. This is going to be Estufa Gem, Tinta Negra. That's how it's made. And then you have five-year, also known as Old Reserve. This is also Estufa Gem, and sometimes Cantellero, which is rafter wine. So it's either rafter or vat wine, but it's only noble grapes and not Tinta Negra or Negra Mol. Then you have 10-year, also known as Special Reserve, and this is almost exclusively made via the Contellero or rafter wine and only made from noble grapes. Now, these wines are made primarily, if you're three to 10 years here, these are wines that are primarily made with blends from multiple vintages. And they're indicating a general style or profile specific to the average age of the wine. It's, it's really kind of a house style, if you will, but in a, in a classification step. <laughs> Basically, if it says it has a year on it, three, five, and 10, it doesn't mean that every wine in there is that age. It's just a wine made to represent what that classification would taste like. This is where the confusion lies. A five-year is not necessarily all five-year wine blended, but it is made to taste and smell like a five-year category, right? This is where it gets a little confusing. Then you have Colita or Harvest, which is a single harvest wine with at least four years in cask. Then you have a Frasquiera, which is a vintage wine, which is a single harvest wine with 20 years in cask or barrel. 
And that's Madeira. The thing is, in 1986, when Madeira or Portugal entered the EU, they had to adhere to the EU standards. And what that means is if you're going to do a blend, 65% of the grape you're putting in the wine needs to be part of that blend. So because of the scarcity of these noble grapes or varieties, if in Tinta Negra making or Negra Mold make up 85% of the Madeira, what that means is Tinta Negra is being blended with the noble varieties. But if you have to make a Madeira that's 100% Tinta Negra, it can only be labeled with its sweetness level and the brand's name on the label. And that's a law. And then they have something called rainwater. I've never tried it. I'm a little bit confused by it. It's light in color. It says it has a flavor that's similar to Madeira, a dry Madeira made more than the Verdeo, Verdeo grape. I, I don't know what it's like. If you guys have it, if you, somebody has it and wants to uh, you know, DM me or tag me on Vine Pierre Keith on Instagram and tell me what it's like, that'd be really cool. But that's Madeira. And, and at first it sounds confusing, but once you understand that it's just a fortified wine and it's made a certain way, different ways to make that result happen at different age requirements. And you just go from there. Whoo, Madeira. Wow, guys. Next week, we're going back to still wine. I'll see you in Priorot. What? Find Pear Keith is my Insta. Rate and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. It really helps get the word out there. And now for some totally awesome credits. Wine 101 was produced, recorded, and edited by yours truly, Keith Beavers, at the Vine Pair headquarters in New York City. I want to give a big old shout out to co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mallon for creating Vine Pair. And I mean, big shout out to Daniel Grinberg, the art director of Vine Pair, for creating the most awesome logo for this podcast. Also, Darby Seaside for the theme song. Listen to this. And I want to thank the entire Vine Pair staff for helping me learn something new every day. See you next week. E&J Gallo Winery is excited to sponsor this episode of Vine Pairs Wine 101. Gallo always welcomes new friends to wine with an amazing wide spectrum of favorites ranging from everyday to luxury and sparkling wine. Gallo also makes award-winning spirits, but this is a wine podcast. Whether you are new to wine or an aficionado, Gallo welcomes you to wine. Visit thebarrelroom.com today to find your next favorite. Where shipping is available.